What does it mean to live differently? Hi, I'm Jenna. Welcome to the Simple Home Podcast. The real reason behind this podcast is to encourage you to live differently. In a society that tells us that more is better and busy is to be expected, I want to give you permission and tips and tricks to help you create a simpler home, simpler days, and cherished moments. Each week, we'll talk about decluttering, organizing, and managing a home. We'll talk about thriving in motherhood, slowing down, and cherishing the journey. Most importantly, we'll have real conversations with real moms who are choosing to live differently and finding joy in motherhood. Take the first step to simplifying your motherhood and head over to athomewithkids.com forward slash resources to find a free resource that's perfect for you in the season that you're in. And stick with me each week as we dive into these topics together. Well, hello there. Welcome to another episode of the Simple Home Podcast. In case we haven't met before, my name is Jenna, and I am thrilled that you are tuning in this week. I had the honor of interviewing Rose Lounsbury, and I just can't wait for you to listen to this interview. Rose has this way of simplifying everything in such practical terms that I know you're going to love this. She speaks to us today about simplifying our stuff and getting organized for good, and it is so applicable. And it just speaks right to the heart of everything that I believe in and that I know that we struggle with, but she makes it seem so doable. So I know you're going to love it. I hope you listen all the way to the end, get all the great tidbits from Rose and make sure to check out her website, roselounsbury.com. She has a membership group. She has so many great things. She's an author. She's a speaker. She's a coach. She can help you in so many different ways. So just make sure to check out what she has to offer if this interview really speaks to you. All right. Before we jump in, I just wanted to let you know something I don't talk about as often is my photo clutter course. I just had several students finish up with it and I got some emails over the weekend that were just so heartwarming. And so I just wanted to put that out there. If photos are a place that is stressful for you, whether it be your digital photos um, or your physical photos, I hope that you would check out this course. It walks you through step-by-step how to declutter and organize and curate these photos so that you can actually enjoy them. If that sounds like something that could benefit you, go to athomewithkids.com forward slash photo clutter, and you'll find all the details about the course there. Of course, you can always email me or DM me on Instagram and ask questions there as well. All right, we're going to jump into my interview with Rose. Well, hi, Rose. Welcome to the Simple Home Podcast. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Hi, Jenna. I am so excited to be here with you. Yeah, I'm so excited to have you. I know that we have talked multiple times and I got to come into your Facebook group and chat a little bit. And so it's so fun to have you and share you with my audience as well. Can you kind of tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do so that they can get to know you a little bit? Absolutely. So my name is Rose Lounsbury and I am a simplicity coach, which basically means that I help people live happier lives with less stuff. Because I think a lot of us, we have a lot of stuff and we thought that all the stuff was going to make us happy, which is why we bought it. And then we realized, oh my gosh, it's actually doing the opposite. It's making us miserable and stressed out and causing us to spend all our free time picking up. So my goal is to give people back their free time, their peace of mind, their mental clarity through letting go of the physical stuff that is creating excess in their life. And so that's that's really what I do. I do it a few different ways. I do a lot of speaking. So I do keynote speeches and workshops. I have a membership group that I lead. I have a course and I do some personal coaching one-on-one with some private client, clients. So that's uh, that's basically what I do. Awesome. I love it. Well, it's right down my alley. I am all about getting rid of as much stuff as possible, although I'm not perfect at it all the time. You know, there's still ends up being stuff in my house that I'm like, how did this get here? Um, But yeah, I love that. I love that you help people just kind of make some space in their lives for what really matters to them. Can you kind of tell us how you went down that journey? Like what led you down that path? What does your simplifying journey look like? Yeah, so my simplicity journey is very much a personal journey. So it started back in 2012, which would be now nine years ago. I was a teacher. I was teaching middle school language arts. So that was my full-time job outside the home. And at the time, I have triplets. At the time, they were two years old. So 
any of your listeners with children can kind of imagine that this is not like an easy life necessarily. You know, I'm getting up really early in the morning. I would get to work at 7 a.m. I would, you know, work my full-time job. I would get home about four o'clock and then I'm the mom, right? Checking into the second job of taking care of the two-year-olds, three two-year-olds, which is also not an easy job. So taking care of these triplets, I love it. Like both my jobs are wonderful, but by the end of the day, by the time I get them in bed, I'm just exhausted. And all I want is one hour to myself, just to have some time where I'm not serving my students, I'm not serving my family. But what I found was I was serving my stuff during the last hour of my day before I had to get myself to bed so I could get up the next day and repeat it all over again. So I would spend the last hour of the day just picking up toys and shoes and sippy cups and moving piles of paper around. And it was just exhausting. It felt like it was never ending. And that all I was ever trying to do was just control the chaos, that every day the chaos happened. And then at the end of the day, I would try really desperately to control it. And then the next day the chaos happened again. And I thought that the answer to the problem was that I needed a bigger house. So my house is about 1500 square feet. And at the time, because we had three two-year-olds, we had a live-in babysitter who lived with us because we have no family nearby. And I just couldn't handle taking three kids to daycare, like three toddlers to daycare in the morning. So we have, you know, a 1500 square foot house with three adults and three toddlers. So it's not a big space. And it all kind of came to a head right after Christmas. So it would have been Christmas of 2011. Um, we went up to visit the out-of-state family and the kids were just showered in presents, which is what out-of-state family loves to do to adorable toddlers. But we returned home from the Christmas and, and I walked into the house and I'm just like, we don't even have room for the current stuff. And here I have all this new stuff that I don't know where to put it. And it was given to me in love. It was given to me to make me feel good and blessed, but it actually just felt like a burden. And I felt very overwhelmed. I felt very stressed. And I thought that I needed to buy a bigger house. I'm like, well, I'm just going to buy a bigger house so that I have room for all the stuff. And I started talking to a friend of mine and she said, well, why don't you just become a minimalist? And this is, you know, 2012, this is kind of back before Marie Kondo, you know, there wasn't a lot of minimalism stuff that was popular in, in modern culture. And so I found a couple blogs and I found some books on this idea of minimalism. And it was like a light bulb just went off. I couldn't believe that I had never considered the possibility of just getting rid of the excess stuff because I'm very organized. I thought, well, I just need to organize it better. I need more labels. I need more bins. I need more shelves. I need, you know, I need to color code. I need to do it better. And if I organized it better, then I wouldn't have this problem. But, but the problem really was I just had too much stuff. And so I started drastically minimizing, like over the period of eight months, I let go of about 70% of our stuff. I mean, it was every weekend, multiple trips to the Goodwill, calling for the donation pickup. I was just slashing and burning everything we didn't absolutely need because every time I let go of something, I got so much more freedom in my life. I got so much more clarity in my life. And what I found was that the ends of my days started to feel really different. I'm still teaching a full-time job. I'm still, I still have two-year-old triplets. I'm still a, a busy woman. But at the end of the day, I started being able to sit down. And that made a difference for me. I could sit down, I could read a magazine, I could drink a mug of tea, and I had peace in my life that I didn't have before. And so that's why I kept doing it. So anyway, fast forward you know, a few years from that, I decided that I wanted to help other people do this. I'd started a blog talking about this and people had been asking me, would you come to my house? Would you help me do this? And I was like, I'd like to, but I have a full-time job and triplet toddlers. I literally don't have time to help you do this. And so I kind of took a leap of faith and um, so through some different circumstances, I decided to take a leave of absence from my job and see what it would be like to do this as a business. And then, you know, that's history, right? Years, I never went back to teaching. I have now decluttered all my teaching things and this is full time what I do, but I do it because it started for me in a very personal place as someone who felt very overwhelmed and like I was drowning in my things and like my things were running my life and I wanted to get control of my life back. And so when I help people, I'm coming from the perspective of someone who hasn't always been this way but who understands like the transformation that can happen and how amazing it can feel on the other side. So that's my personal journey 
to what I do. And it's, it's not like you reach an end point. I still practice this. This is still something that I do. And I find, I don't know if you found this, but once you simplify the physical stuff, simplicity kind of bleeds out into other areas of your life. And you're like, well, I need to now simplify my time. I need to simplify my schedule. I want to simplify my health. I want to simplify my relationships. You know, it can, it can affect all these other areas of your life. But for me, it started very much with dealing with the physical possessions in my home. Yeah, I love that you said that. I think that so many of my listeners are in the middle of what you just talked about. They're just looking for a different way than the normal way. I think the normal way is that, okay, well, now we have to make room for more stuff. We, we had another kid. We're going to have all this stuff come in. We need a bigger house with another bedroom. Oh, we, you know, we had Christmas. We need more shelves, more tubs. Like you said, I think mm-hmm. people are kind of in the middle of that. Um, and I too agree. I think when we can start with our stuff, I don't think we have the capacity or the space in our lives to start with the mental or the time, you know, our schedules or that sort of thing until we clear out the clutter that's all around us. You know, that's what kind of opens up the simplicity going into those other areas. So I appreciate that you said that. I know a lot of people will say like, we have to work in our minds. We've got to work on our schedule, but I don't think we can get there. I don't think people realize what a burden all the stuff around them really is and how much that weighs on us. And you're right. You just serve your stuff. You pick up all the toys and all the stuff and you see it in your kids too. I mean, our kids can make a mess in like, you know, zero to 10 seconds. They've got (laughs) stuff everywhere. And then we expect them to turn around and we're like, okay, go pick up your whole room. And if they have mountains of toys, they're looking at it like, are you kidding mom? Like there's yeah. no way, you know, and, and they get stressed and overwhelmed too. So I think we need to remember that once we kind of clear that, that clutter out, uh, it will open up our, our minds a little bit to be able to simplify in other areas and hopefully sit down at the end of the night. Yes. You know, it's not too much to ask for, right? Like five minutes, <laughs> 10 minutes to just sit and have a mug of tea. So yeah, I'm, I'm very thankful that you shared that story because I'm sure there are lots of moms out there thinking, that's right where I am. I need, <laughs> I need this lady's advice for sure. So I don't know if you consider yourself a professional organizer. You said you're very organized yourself. You said you're a simplicity coach. I'm sure a lot of organization goes into that. Um, have you always been a really organized person? Like even when you had the stuff, have you been very organized or, you know, is there somebody in your life that was really organized to help you kind of see things in that way? Or is it something that changed for you once you got rid of your stuff? So I would say that I've always been pretty organized. I'm, I'm naturally prone to organization, but I've not always been simplified. And I think it's really important to see the distinction between those two. Because I am very organized. I'm rather detail-oriented. So if you had come to my house when the triplets were babies, you would have found things like a color-coded schedule of how much each baby ate and when, how many wet diapers, what they had for medicine, when they woke up, when they slept, you would have found Sterilite bins with labels that said boy bibs, girl bibs, boy shoes, girls. I mean, everything is was very organized. My life has always been very organized, relatively so, um, but I never simplified. And so it's sort of a trap. And I want people to understand that like the organizing is, is wonderful, but if that's all you're doing, it's a never ending job. Organizing can be exhausting. There's like an end point at which you can no longer organize it. And it felt like I was just trying to get control of it all the time. Like organizing is taking control. Simplifying is letting go. And when you let go first, the organizing is really easy. So if you don't have 50 pairs of shoes, you don't ever probably really have to organize them. Like it's not hard to organize like 10 or less pairs of shoes. It's it's not that difficult. So a lot of times what people see, like in magazines or Pinterest, you'll see organizing hacks, organizing tips, and you'll see these beautiful pictures of closets. Well, I challenge anyone to count the number of t-shirts and pairs of pants you see in those organized closets, there will be like 10 shirts and four pairs of pants and four pairs of shoes and two hats. Show me somebody who can't organize a closet beautifully with only 10 shirts and four pairs of pants and four pairs of shoes and two hats. An eight-year-old could do that. So organizing actually really isn't that difficult when you simplify first, when you don't have an excess amount of things 
that you have to organize. And that was the thing that I'd never gotten because I had this skill of organizing. I thought, well, I can just organize my way out of this chaos. But what I did was I just sort of like fueled myself into this anxiety ball, trying to control everything all the time. When I started by letting go, organizing was so happy, so easy. I often tell people organizing is magical at that point. It's not really that difficult. So yes, I've always been relatively organized, but organizing itself can still lead you to chaos and anxiety. And so that's why I switched calling myself, uh, I don't really call myself a professional organizer anymore because I think when you hear that word, you think of, you know, bins and baskets and labels and I've got those things and I can give you tips on those things. But I really found, especially as I started working with my personal clients, that what they needed was not really organization. What they needed was simplification. They needed to let go and then the organizing happened. And so I kind of dropped that from, from all my stuff. I don't really, you're not going to see a lot of the word organizing on my stuff, although you will because I still teach it. But I come from a place where we simplify first. We declutter and let go first. And then let's talk about organizing. And the organizing is really easy at that point. Yeah, absolutely. I totally agree. I was a chronic organizer, although I am not naturally organized, but I was a chronic like bin hoarder (laughs) for a long time. Like how many bins can I have stacked up over here and make it look pretty? And I just like shove stuff in, you know, I'm like, well, these are all coats. So they'll all go in here. And you know, that doesn't work. Like it just fills up your space with bins and tubs. So totally agree. I am not naturally organized. And that is why I decluttered all my stuff because otherwise it's just too hard for me. I totally understand. Yeah. So for those of us who are not naturally organized, like myself, what tips do you have for just getting started? Like, is there a best room or space to start with when you're thinking about letting go of stuff or getting rid of stuff or where do you suggest starting? So I have two tips for getting started. And some of your listeners who have families may not like my first tip, but this is the truth. Tip number one is start with your own stuff. So I know that when I started my journey, I looked around the house. I'm like, this, the problem here is Josh and those kids, right? It's the kids' toys. It's Josh's t-shirts, his Star Wars toys. It's, it's them, right? But I had the wherewithal to realize that if I started by dealing with other people's stuff, it, especially my husband, it wasn't going to go very well for me. So I started by just dealing with my things. And as I dealt with my own things, it's like I call it the horrible aha moment where I realized that the problem was not them. The problem was me. And I had a lot of things that I needed to take care of myself. So I always recommend that you start with your own stuff, whatever you have jurisdiction over. So often that would be your own clothing, your own personal care products, your own books, anything that is completely yours, start with your own stuff because it does a couple of things. The first is that it sets a really good example for your family to follow. You don't need to say a word to them. Just deal with your things. They will take notice and start to get on board. And you don't have to do any asking or coercing or making sticker charts or rewards or any of that. Just let them observe what you're doing. And the second thing that it does is, let's say you do then decide to approach them like, hey, would you like me to help you Uh, simplify your toys or honey, would you like me to help you make more sense of the garage? It just seems like it's really chaotic in there. When you approach them to deal with their stuff, you're coming from a place of authenticity because they've seen you deal with your own stuff first. If you're allowing your stuff to be all over the place and it's chaotic and it's just jam packed and then you approach them to, to declutter their stuff, that's the pot calling the kettle black and they're not going to get on board with you. So the first tip is to start with your own stuff. And then the second tip is to start somewhere easy, wherever that is for you. Because I often tell people that when we're dealing with our stuff, we're not actually dealing with our stuff. What we're dealing with are our feelings and emotions about our stuff. And feelings and emotions can be difficult. I think all of us can probably think of things that we look at and we feel regret. We feel sadness. We feel shame by some of the items that we have in our home. Like they can bring up really negative feelings. And so because of that, you want to start where the emotions are really low. Things that you don't have any emotional connection to. So for example, when I started, one of the first things I did was the towels. Because I pretty much had jurisdiction over the towels and I don't have a strong emotional connection to my towels. 
It was very easy to let go of them. I don't have fond memories of all the good times that we've had drying ourselves off with the towels. So start with your own stuff, whatever is your jurisdiction, and start somewhere easy. And by easy, I mean wherever the emotional connection is low. Typically, for many people, that's going to be somewhere in the bathroom. Bathroom spaces tend to be spaces that you have jurisdiction over because they're your personal care products. And those types of things tend to have low emotional connection. So bathroom is a really good place to start if you're just looking to get in there and do something. So you could even just start with the medicine cabinet. You probably don't have an emotional connection to most things in there and you probably have jurisdiction there. So start in that one little space and then slowly you move out and work your way up to the harder things and the things that also might involve the other people in your house. Yeah, definitely. I think too, once we, once we start down the road of the easy stuff and we start to feel like how that feels, like if the bathroom is now your favorite place to be because you were able to, you know, (laughs) declutter it, then you're like, okay, I could take on my closet, even though it's going to be a little harder. Won't it feel so good to want to spend time in my closet instead of the bathroom? You know, I think sometimes it just, it shows us, it makes it easier to do some of the harder stuff because you feel the reward of it once you've done the easy stuff for sure. So I know that this is a question I get all the time, like, okay, I can do it. And then I'm not organized anymore. It's like a week later, all of a sudden, nothing's, nothing's in its place. I have clutter again. Um, so once we get organized, how do we keep our spaces organized? Like, how do we keep them clutter free? How do we keep things where they go, especially when we have young kids or spouses or partners coming and things are just like in and out all the time, right? Especially with young children, things are going and coming and groceries are coming in. So I know that was a lot, but do you have any advice on that? Yeah, I definitely do. And the one thing to realize, I think overall, you just have to realize that, especially if you have kids, it's never going to be perfect. I mean, before I came up here to do this podcast interview, downstairs, there are books on the floor, there are backpacks on the floor, there's stuff on the table. It's never like your home is going to be absolutely perfect. But I think a good measure of a home that is simplified is how quickly can you hit the reset button? It's not that it's going to look like better homes and gardens, but how quickly can you put a room to rights? And I always tell my clients and my students, my goal is that any room of your house should be able to be put to rights in like five minutes or less. It shouldn't take you more than that to get it back to like a reset. So the first piece of advice that I would give people is to start a daily reset routine. So the end of the day, the kitchen, reset it to a level that feels good to you. And that's going to vary for certain people. Some people want the counters completely clear. I don't have my counters completely clear because it doesn't bother me to have a few things on my counters. But whatever reset looks like for you, reset it. So five minutes or less, what does it take to get that room to a place that feels good to you? Five minutes or less in like the kids areas, you know, what does it take to get it back to what feels good to you? And so a second piece of advice along with sort of a daily reset, which some people call like a tidy up routine or a 10 minute tidy or 15 minute tidy, daily reset, I kind of like the name of that because the word tidy for a lot of people just doesn't get them excited. (laughs) I don't get excited to tidy, but let me reset this. Okay. I I feel a little better about that. Um, So the second thing is to really pick what matters to you. Uh, So example, in my kids' rooms, I care about the floor being clear, but I really don't care about the flat surfaces. So if you walked into my kids' rooms, there are Legos and their banks and money and socks and whatever on their surfaces, the surfaces do not look like the home of someone who calls them a simplicity coach. Yet the floors are relatively clear. And at the end of the night, I say, okay, pick up your floor, clear your floor. I make the floor be clear because for whatever reason, I care about that, but I don't care about the surfaces. Every few months, I'll make them go through the surfaces. All right, guys, let's, let's get control of this. Let's clear it off and, you know, put things away, trash the trash. And then will the surfaces get cluttered again? Yes, because they're children. They're 11 years old. And so they're going to put stuff on there. Um, but I don't worry about that on a daily basis. I just worry about the floor. And then the third thing that I would tell people is you've heard this tip, I'm sure, 
But that one in one out rule, there's a reason that you hear everybody say that. And that's because it really works because you have to maintain once you've cleared the plate, if you just go out and buy a bunch of stuff again, you're going to end up right back where you were. As things come in, things go out. And so when I first started my journey, I did this really religiously. So if I bought a new shirt, I let another piece of clothing go. If my kids got a toy, we don't donated a toy. And a little, a little trick for the moms out there, if you're doing one in, one out with your kids, it doesn't have to be apples to apples. Like if they get a stuffed, I learned this the hard way when my kids loved stuffed animals for my daughter still does, but there was that stuffed animal phase. And so they would get a new one as a prize. And then I'd say, well, okay, find a stuffed animal to let go. And it was like tears. And I'm like, okay, this is bad. <laughs> I'm creating like future therapy bills for my children by, by making them let go of a stuffed animal. And so I said, okay, one thing in your room that you no longer are using or that you're done with. So it could be a book, it could be a toy, it could be a puzzle, but one in, one out, just to get in that habit of we don't bring new in without letting old go out. And eventually you don't have to really be as religious about it because you'll just naturally be letting go of stuff. But when you're starting down the road, be really intentional. Okay, we got new clothes, new clothes go out. I, I bought a new coffee mug, a coffee mug goes out. And eventually you, you can relax on that a little bit as you get in the mindset, but especially at the beginning, I, I recommend it. And then the last thing I would say on this one is to shop your inventory. A lot of us have, you know, we're buying at Costco or wherever, you know, you've got shampoo, you've got extra pasta, you've got cereal, you know, you might buy your kids the next season's coat at the end of the season. And so a lot of us are creating inventory in our homes. And if you think of a store, the store, before they order more from the manufacturer, they check the inventory because they know what happens if they don't. They're going to order too much or they're going to order the wrong size. They're going to reorder stuff they already have, and then they have to sell it at a discount. So do what the stores do. Check your inventory before you buy new things. Before you go to the store, how much soap do you have? How much shampoo do you have? How many boxes of cereal do you have? Just get in the habit of like checking the inventory. And I used to not do this. And I once, it was my daughter when she was size medium girls. I bought her like an entire wardrobe of size medium girls clothes like two or three times because I kept forgetting that I had already bought her those clothes because I didn't check my inventory. And I remember when I eventually got to the point where I said, she can't wear all this. And I had to donate bags of clothes with tags on them. And I learned the hard way, check the inventory first. <laughs> so those would, be, those would be some of my tips for maintaining organization once you have achieved it, because it does require maintenance. And I, I hate to break that to people who may not realize it, but your house is just not going to stay set at a certain level unless you do some work to maintain it that way. It just is the way that it is. Yeah, absolutely. And I think too, when I get this question from people, they forget that it's about the stuff that comes back into our house too. And, you know, once you've gotten to a level where you can maintain it, you usually know where stuff's going to go. So it's easy to put it back. It's easy. That was my biggest problem before I went down this road is I didn't have anywhere to put stuff because I had too much stuff. And so, you know, I couldn't keep it organized because it didn't have a home. So it ended up on the floor or on the, you know, the kitchen table or whatever. And so, like you're saying, it's really more about maintaining the level of stuff that's in our home than the actual organization, because that's easy once, <laughs> once you have that minimal level of, of stuff. Now, I also wanted to reiterate the tip you just gave about the kids' room, because I needed this advice this week. <laughs> My kids' room, so I have three kids, age nine, almost seven, and five, and they all three share a room. And the two bigger ones have those loft bunk beds. So they have their own little desk space underneath and some shelves and whatever. And the younger one's in a little twin bed. And he has his own little desk. And stuff is everywhere. And I realize we have three kids in one room. And, you know, stuff's going to be everywhere. But their desks, this is a new thing for us, the loft bed things. So they each have their own desks. They drive me nuts because there's stuff everywhere. But like you just said, I need to choose like one thing that's most important and it would be the floor for me too. So I'm going to take your advice because I have been nagging my children and I'm sure they're going to need therapy as well when they get big <laughs> and they see me getting rid of all this stuff. And constantly my little kids are like, are you going to get rid of that? Like you're going to sell it to somebody else or donate it. <laughs> so I need to calm down with them so that, you know, they have their own ownership over their space. So lesson learned. <laughs> 
for sure. Well, but the thing is too, if the desks really do bother you, it's okay to pick that battle and be like, that's one that's going to be part of the daily reset is we reset the desks. Like just because I'm okay with their dresser top looking like a disaster doesn't mean that you are. And if it really bothers you, then you create a routine. But here's the thing. I always tell parents, like, you have to decide what you're willing to enforce. Kids will go along with you. I mean, most kids, there's a very rare kid who's truly defiant and doesn't want to please you or doesn't want to follow your directions. Most kids are going to go along with you and, and they want you to be happy with them. But you have to decide, what am I willing to enforce? Am I willing to enforce the floor and the desks and that the clothes are folded vertically and that this and that that? If you are, that's just more jobs for you which is fine, but I decided what I really care about is the floor. I'm just, yeah, I'd love it if the, if the surfaces were clear. That'd be great. That'd be a bonus, but I can live with it. I can live with it. Um, and so I think for all of us, we have to just find that line and realize that our line might be different than other people's lines. And it's funny when I would, I used to do in-home professional organizing and I would have some clients whose standards were way higher than mine. For their kids and so i go to their kids rooms and like the dressers would have just like a beautiful vase and a lamp on top and i'm like oh my gosh <laughs> don't come to my house you know and here they are paying me to help them get organized and so it just showed me that you know everybody has their level everybody has what they care about and and the important thing for people is to just be at peace with whatever you decide is the level you want to be at yeah, definitely. I want my kids to have a healthy level too, though, and me not like, you know, nitpick every single thing. And I realized that about myself. I'm a natural nagger. I think I was like born with this great mom nagging ability. And so <laughs> it's a superpower. It's, yeah, it's not for my children, but <laughs> um, but yeah, so I um I do need to step back a little from that because it's almost like I get my space good and I'm like, who else can I go? And like <laughs> you know, who else can I go tell to get their space looking better? So yeah, it's just, it's a struggle for me. So, well, let's talk about two areas um, that I know are troublesome for many, many people. And that is the kitchen and the entryway. I hear this over and over again, probably because we spend our lives in the kitchen as moms, groceries come in and out. Um, and then the entryway, you know, we're in and out, there's shoes, there's changing of seasons, there's coats, there's backpacks, there's all the things. Um, can you just give us a couple tips maybe to organize these areas or stay organized in these areas um, and whatever you do in your house or whatever might help my listeners? Yeah. So the kitchen, you're absolutely right that the kitchen tends to be an area that is troublesome for most people. And it is because the kitchen serves so many purposes. It's not just cooking anymore. It's the family hangout space. It's the charging station. It's where kids do homework. It's where we manage paper. A lot of us are managing the paper and the mail and the command center is in the kitchen. So realize that the kitchen is not just for cooking. And that's why it becomes chaotic because it's a room that probably for most people has like five to eight different distinct purposes. So I always recommend that if you want to declutter and organize your kitchen, you divide it into three different types of stuff. There are three different types of stuff in your kitchen. One is the stuff that you eat. So that's your pantry, your fridge, your freezer. The second is the stuff you cook and eat with. So that's the dishes, the pots and pans, the utensils. And then the third category is everything else. That's all the stuff in the junk drawer. That's the paper on the kitchen island. Those are the charging cords, the craft supplies, everything else. So if you divide it into those three different categories, you tackle them one at a time. Because if you go in your kitchen and you're trying to deal with all of them, you're dealing with all sorts of different things. Go in your kitchen and just deal with, for example, the stuff you cook and eat with. Just the pots and pans, the dishes, the utensils. Put blinders on and pretend that you can't see the other stuff. And once you have the stuff you cook and eat with under control, then maybe say, okay, now I'm gonna deal with the stuff we eat. I'm just looking at the pantry and then the fridge and the freezer. I'm not looking at anything else. And then look at everything else, okay? Gather it all together, all the papers together, all the cords together, all the craft supplies, and, and decide, first of all, does this stuff belong in here? It very well may be, right? If your kitchen is, is the charging center, then yes, cords belong there. Where's the home of the cords? If you don't have a home for them, make one. Put a basket or a bin, write cords on it, 
stick all the cords in there, that becomes the home of those things. So for kitchens, I really think it's, it's realizing like you want to look at it as three different types of stuff that you find and attack each one separately so that you're not trying to, to mix them all together because that can get really chaotic really easily. And even within those categories, you can break them down smaller. So like stuff you cook and eat with, that's a lot of stuff in your kitchen. So you can even break that down to, I'm just dealing with coffee mugs. I'm just dealing with baking supplies. Now I'm just dealing with the Tupperware. Okay, so you don't have to get, because emptying out everything you cook and eat with and dealing with all, that'll take you four or five hours at least. Um, so you can break it down smaller if you don't have a lot of time. But that would be my advice, first piece of advice for the kitchen. And then the entryway, yes, for busy families. And I live in a house that was built in the 1930s. So I have often said the phrase, I would kill a man for a mudroom. Like there's no mudroom in my home. Like you walk in the home and you walk into the main living area. There is no mudroom whatsoever. So if you have a mudroom, awesome. If you don't, that's still great. You can still manage, but you have to think about the types of things that happen in entryways. And, and the things that happen are we have bags, coats, and shoes. Those three things are like the main three things that you need space for in an entryway. And so one of the things I recommend doing is setting reasonable limits for those three things. How many in-season coats are people allowed to keep here? So two in-season coats per person. That doesn't mean that everybody only has two coats. That just means your coats that are not in season are in your bedroom in your closet. And then when that coat becomes in season, it can come out. Shoes, same thing. Set a reasonable limit for the amount of shoes people are allowed to have there. Three pairs of in-season shoes, four pairs, just set a number. Again, that's not the extent of shoes anyone owns, but the rest of them are in their bedroom in their closet. Same thing with bags. Maybe everybody gets one backpack and then one extra bag for like a sport or activity, whatever. So set your reasonable limit for bags. And so it's sort of like policing the area, like setting the limit, and then you kind of police it and you have to rotate it. And yes, sometimes you'll have more or less and that's okay. You don't have to be super strict. But you just set a limit that this is a shared space, thus nobody gets to monopolize this space. We all get a certain amount of things we can keep here, and the rest is in your personal closet in your personal bedroom. And so the other thing that's really helpful in these spaces are hooks. Uh, like I said, my, my house was built in the 1930s, and so I, the closet, the only coat closet we have is built like most coat closets. There was a high bar with two shelves on top. Well, show me a child who can put a coat on a hanger on a high bar and I will give you a million dollars because at 11 years old, I swear my kids still can't put a coat on a hanger. So I saw this in a magazine and it's like the best thing I've ever seen. I retrofitted the closet. I removed the high bar, replaced it with a row of hooks at the top and then halfway down another row of hooks. So my kids at kindergarten age could hang up their coat they could hang up their backpack on the kid level hooks. Adults use the higher hooks. So my purse, the dog's leash, umbrellas, the bag you take to the library, your coats are on the high level of hooks. It doubled the size of the closet. We eliminated the hangers completely. So opt for hooks over hangers in the entryway, especially when you have young children because it allows them to be able to hang up their stuff. And then the third thing that I would tell you here is the shoes. Uh, shoes can become a problem easily. And I say, you know, the easiest shoe storage that you can, I like, I don't mind the sight of shoes. If you mind the sight of shoes, you're going to have to tuck them away in a different way. But those simple shoe racks that are just like the two tiered slatted shoe racks, just the simplest solution because it's visible. The kids can see their shoes. They know where they are. They can put them on. They can kick them off as close to the door as humanly possible. If you try to make people walk through three rooms to put their shoes away, they're still going to kick them off by the door and you're going to have a pile of shoes by the door. So find an easy way for you to keep the shoes there. And again, because set, you've set a reasonable limit, it's okay. It's not going to be overwhelmed because you're not keeping every single shoe that every person owns by the door. So those would be my tips for the entryway to make it a little easier for families. Yeah, definitely. Those are very helpful. I am like you. So we live pretty small 
and our living room is right where you enter the house. It's like the living room slash the, you know, entryway slash my office. My, my desk is in the corner and it's open to the kitchen. So it's like one big room, you know? So that's always been a challenge for us as we're going in and out and all the kids have school and all of those things. So I think those tips are great. I also love the tip about the closet because then not only that, but then you can see the floor in the closet, right? Rather than just having the big long things hanging and everything, you kind of have a little space um, in there. So I'm sure it does double your size to do the hooks instead. Let's go back to the kitchen really quick because I did have a couple people ask some questions specifically for you on Instagram. I just put it out that I was having you come on. And one of those was about having a small pantry area. And I know that's a problem in a lot of homes. You know, they don't have the big pantries. We just maybe have some cupboards. Can you give some ideas of how to organize when you just have a little tiny pantry or no pantry at all? Yeah, so that's exactly the kind of pantry that I have. Again, homes built in the 30s did not have the huge walk-in beautiful pantry. And my pantry was a place for a long time that just stymied me. I mean, Josh would look in it. He's like, man, the cobbler's children have no shoes, huh? Because here I am going to people's homes and helping them organize our pan their pantries. But our pantry was a disaster because it was just a cupboard. And I didn't know how to get it under control. And so eventually... What I discovered was that really with a pantry, and this is a small pantry or a large one, the way that you divide a pantry is between what is open and currently being eaten and what is on deck. Those are the two categories that you need to get clear on. What is open and currently being eaten and what is on deck or inventory. So what I did was the little cupboard in the kitchen that is the pantry is anything open or currently being eaten. So the current cereal box that is open and being eaten is there. But maybe I, cereal was on sale. So maybe I bought four boxes. Well, the extra three boxes that are sealed are actually downstairs in my laundry room on a shelf that I use for overflow. That's my on deck kitchen supplies. So anything that's canned is also gonna be down there because you don't keep canned things open. So my pantry becomes, it's open or it's currently being eaten, the little cupboard. And then anything that's on deck or is boxed up is downstairs. So pasta, for example, you know, if you open the box of pasta but you don't eat all of it, right? You only make like a half of a box. That half box will be in the pantry upstairs in the kitchen. But all the other pasta that's still totally boxed up is downstairs on the shelf in the laundry room. So the division is open currently eating and inventory. And so that would be the, the, the number one tip. And the other thing is just really simplify the, the diversity of stuff that you keep in the pantry. Do you need five different kinds of crackers or would everybody be happy with wheat thins? Like that was one thing that I'd, I said, you know what? Everybody likes wheat thins. So that's the only kind of cracker that I am buying, just one kind. And then you have a container of crackers and it's one kind of cracker and everybody can be happy with it. Because what I found, and this is what I would see in my, my clients' pantries was, I called it the five boxes of stale crackers problem. They had, you know, five different kinds of crackers. All of them had been open. Nobody knew which ones were open. So then they would open another box while the old box went stale. And so then you have all these different stale crackers. And I'm like, if you just had one kind of cracker and you divided your pantry into what was open and the, and the stuff that was inventory was elsewhere, the box of crackers would not go stale. So even if you have a big pantry, you can still divide it that way. Like the, the top shelves, or the eye level shelves are open currently eaten, eating, and then the lower shelves are the inventory and on deck, or the stuff in front is what's being open and currently being eaten, and the stuff behind is inventory and on deck. So it's that division that matters, and that is the, probably the number one way to simplify the pantry is to divide it into those two different types. Yeah, I love that idea. That's great. I too don't have, you know, the pantry. I just have the like I have a drawer and a cupboard <laughs> that yeah. we use. And so I'm going to rethink what mine looks like. I'm not even sure right now, to be honest, if I have a system <laughs> in place or if it, you know, I do buy just one of everything, same kind of noodles. Like, you know, we don't buy the spirals and the shells and the macaroni and the pinay. We can eat pinay with every kind of pasta dish we want. So that's what we buy, you know, so yep. same thing. You got to kind of simplify what you're going to have on hand. Now, with that said, what about those little um, storage containers? You know, you can buy the pretty ones for like cereal and crackers and snacks and stuff. Do you feel like that's worth investing in for somebody who's trying to simplify their pantry? It really depends. For me, it was. And that was what I had to do was I have a 
the, the cupboard I use is very deep. So what happened was stuff was getting lost in the back. And so what I had to do is I had to stack things up. I had to find a way to elevate things. And so I remember the day that I measured and I, I spent hours at the store with a measuring tape, like, is this the right size? And I bought a set of uniform containers that would stack in the back of my pantry so that I could see the things. So if it would behoove you to do that, then yes, it is worth the investment because it has saved me a lot of stress because I can see what I have because I did invest in some containers that allowed me to easily access things. I have a general rule with the containers though. And so if you're going to go with containers, the general rule is if it's a loose item, so oatmeal, crackers that you might take out of the box, rice or beans, loose items go in canisters. And if it's a prepackaged item, so granola bars, or if you do snack packs and that kind of thing, those go in a basket. So it just makes it easier. So we have a basket of snacks, which are more the prepackaged type things. Also, if we had like a bag of pretzels, right, and we just like clip the pretzels shut, they would go in the snack basket. But then the oatmeal, the beans, the rice, those kinds of things I do have in containers. But I don't necessarily believe in decanting everything. So I tried to make the cereal thing work. So I bought one of those cereal thingies. And then I realized, you know, this thing doesn't take up any less space than the box of cereal itself. And I have to decant the cereal from the plastic bag and put it in here. It doesn't really keep it fresher because with the plastic bag, I can like, you know, squeeze all the air out and put a clip on it so that the bag actually keeps it fresher. So I don't really use the cereal one. I, I do still have it. It's probably not very simple of me, but I have it downstairs waiting if I ever need to use it again. But I think sometimes there's a bit of trial and error with some of these things. But for most people, I have found that some canisters are helpful. Just really think about, like, like I said, I didn't just go to the store and buy a bunch of stuff. I looked at my pantry and I was like, what are the problems here? And then I was like, okay, I need a container for crackers. I need a container for oatmeal. And I got really clear about what I needed containers for. I need a tray to contain all of the oils and vinegars. And I measured everything with a measuring tape. I put the oils and vinegars together and measured the size. And I wrote that down and I went to the store with my measuring tape and I tried to find a tray that was that size. So don't just go buy random containers. Get really intentional about what you need and why you need it and then go buy exactly what you need, put it in place, and it should work for you for a long time. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I too tried the cereal ones once and then realized, you know, but then I end up like dumping it in there and it fits one and a half boxes of cereal. So then I still have a half box of cereal that's going to have to sit somewhere because I don't have a lot of pantry space, you know. So yeah, yeah, you do have to be really intentional about the things you go purchase um, to organize, especially if you're still in that decluttering phase of getting rid of stuff. Like don't go out and buy a bunch of new stuff. If you've got too much stuff going on already, that's kind of that final phase. I feel like, um, once you're down to down to the manageable amount in your spaces. Well, Rose, this has been so informative. You've given us so many tips. I know that I wrote down a few things as you were talking and I'm sure my listeners are going to get so much out of it. So thank you. I do want to ask you one question. I ask all the people who come on the podcast, and that is if you could grab a busy mom by the shoulders, look her right in the eyes and tell her one thing, what would it be? You don't need all that stuff. You don't need it. It's not helping you. It's making your life harder. You won't miss it. You don't need all that stuff. Yeah, definitely. I am with you. It's hard to realize that. I think um, before you get into it. But as you start to declutter, you're absolutely right. You don't miss it. And it just gives you so much space. So tell us where we can learn more from you and find out more about what you do. Definitely. So if you are an Instagram person, <clears throat> I am on Instagram at Rose Lounsbury, and that's R-O-S-E-L-O-U-N-S-B-U-R-Y. So my last name is like a dog berries a bone, not like a strawberry. If you are a Facebook person, I have a really fun, active Facebook group called Minimalism is Fun. And we do have fun. So come join us over at that Facebook group and you'll get a lot of interaction. I have videos there and it's a really fun place. 
if you don't do social media at all and you would prefer to go to my website, my website is roselounsbury.com. And if you go there, you will find that I have a free Simplicity Starter Guide, which you can download. And what that does is it takes you on a tour around your house and it asks you questions that I would ask if I was there with you. And based on the answers that you give, it helps you create a customized checklist where you rank your spaces in the order in which you should tackle them. So if you're looking at your whole house and like, I don't know where to get started, that would be a really great resource for you. It's the free Simplicity Starter Guide and you can get it by going to my website. Uh, you can also get it on Instagram. If you click the link in my bio, there will be a link to it as well. But those would be the places to hang out with me if you uh, want to hang out and learn more. Awesome. Well, I will make sure to link all those things in the show notes for anybody who is interested. I am sure that simplicity guide will come in really handy for a lot of people. Um, I know you also have your membership and um, your course, which you don't launch all the time, right? It's open a few times a year. Yeah. Yeah. So I have a course called the less method and the less method is my four step decluttering method. And so that's also in my book. So I should have mentioned that too. If you are a reader, if you go on Amazon and search for my name, you'll find my book. It's called less minimalism for real. And that will teach you my less method. But if you want me to teach it to you and keep you accountable. I offer a six week less method live decluttering course three times a year. So I just started with my winter group this week and we'll teach it again in the spring and then the fall. So if you want some group accountability and fun as you do this, which I think most of us want, because let's be honest, like decluttering your closet in the dark by yourself is kind of sad. Um, go ahead and you can get on the waiting list for that so that you'll be the first to know when the next round opens. So that's my declutter course. And then I have a membership called the monthly min and we meet once a month and it's a live program where we give each other accountability for setting monthly goals toward simplicity. So that's another great way to learn more about simplicity and get some support as you declutter and kind of a, um, more of a slow and steady pace. Or if you're trying to maintain, like you've already decluttered, but you want some accountability to help you maintain that membership program is really good. If you're looking to really get in there and make a huge transformation in a short amount of time, then the last method course is a good place to start. So there's information about both of those on my website. And also there's information about private coaching with me as well, if that's a better fit for you. But if you go to my website and you go to the coaching tab, you'll find information about all of those things that I offer. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Rose. Um, and again, I'll link all of these things in the show notes so people can find you and learn more from you. But I really, really appreciate your time, especially with triplets at home. I know that your time is <laughs> very valuable. So thank you for spending it with us today. Thank you, Jenna. It was an honor to be here. Well, that was my dear friend, Rose, and I hope just like I did, you took away some practical things that you can put into place right now and that the whole process of just getting rid of stuff and organizing your home in a way that works for you feels more doable. That's what I always hope for you after you listen to an episode of the Simple Home Podcast, just that you can actually do this. You can make progress and you can make your life feel lighter and give yourself more space for what really matters to you. Make sure to check out Rose's website and all the wonderful things she has to offer because I know you're going to find so many beneficial tools in there. So go check that out. I will have all the links in the show notes for anything we mentioned during this episode so you can find them really easily. Also, if photo clutter is one of those things that's causing you mental stress where you're thinking about, you know, what if I lose these photos? Why do I have so many? I have no more space on my phone, all of those things. You're going to love the course Curate and Cherish. So go check it out at homewithkids.com forward slash photo clutter. I can't wait to talk to you next week. As always, have a blessed weekend. Thank you for joining me on the Simple Home Podcast this week. It truly is a blessing to have you here. If you've been enjoying this podcast and found encouragement here, can you take a moment to leave a rating and a review on iTunes? This is how podcasts grow and how they reach larger audiences. And I am so thankful to get to work with so many women and spread this message. So if you have a moment, head to iTunes and leave a rating and a review. I love to read what you have to say, and I might just spotlight you on an upcoming episode. Also, if you think a friend could use this kind of encouragement, go ahead and share it with them. Tell them about the podcast. Tag me on Instagram with a picture of you listening. Whatever we can do to encourage more women to live differently. Thank you so much for listening, and I will talk to you next week.